following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Welcome to R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. Weekly winners from his Wise Guy Roundtable. Broadcasting from the pregame.com studios in Las Vegas. Here is R.J. Bell. College football 2017, week one edition. And oh, the Wise Guy Roundtable. We've got, so excited, Ken Thompson here. This guy, decades, literally, plural, of radio College specialist, college football, college basketball, and he's joined by the alum, Brad Powers. Brad, many years with Phil Steele, his longtime listeners know, and what you're going to be doing this year, no doubt about it, is one week you're going to be saying, Ken knows more than Brad. Next week, you're going to be saying, Brad knows more than Ken. It is going to be a ping pong ball back and forth type about who knows more between these guys because they know more pretty much than anyone else I know. We're excited. It's college football week one. I'm RJ. We're going to have a number of reoccurring topics and show segments for the dream preview college football. And the first one is overrated, underrated, and Ken's disagreement with Brad. Brad does his power ratings every week. And every week we're going to say who's overrated, who's underrated relative to the popularity polls, relative to the AP, for example. And then Ken's going to say, I disagree and debate about one of them. All right, let's get straight to it, Brad. Who is the most underrated team in your mind, meaning in your Vegas rankings, they're higher than in the AP? Doesn't happen very often because I usually think this team is overrated because of the public perception uh, about them. But it's actually Notre Dame uh, is underrated heading into this season. It starts with last season being one of the worst in school history. They're four and eight, much better than their record indicated. Seven of those eight losses by eight points or less. It was a team that still RJ at four and eight still outscored its opponents on the season. Still. Uh, had the yards per game differential on the season despite that record. Yards per play, favorite wise guy stat, nearly outgained their opponents by one yard per play when you subtracted the two differences. Uh, Notre Dame's a team not even in the top 25, but as far as my power ratings, I think they're top 20 caliber. All right, so you got them about 20. They're out of the AP top 25. Let's touch on a couple of the topics you brought up because, you know, we always say it, give a man a fish sandwich, they eat lunch. Teach Amanda fish, they eat the rest of their lives. Let's think about how to think about this stuff, Brad, is I would say one of the main between-season factors that tend towards regression, tends towards drop-off, is if a team won a lot of close games. The math guys say, in the long run, close games even out for almost everybody, and thus, and this applies to the NFL too, and we'll be doing the dream preview for the NFL released on Podcast One, new partners this year, released on Thursday this week. We're going to be doing a whole NFL season preview this week and then week one, obviously, next week. So in general, is it as simple as, hey, Notre Dame should have won more of those close games and thus the perception this year would have been better? Uh, almost as simple as that. And it's also the fact that they were at a certain level for so many years 
you know, winning at least eight games every year for six years under Brian Kelly, all of a sudden you have that noticeable drop, and you got to start understanding why. So it has more impact because teams aren't you or the public's not used to Notre Dame losing so much. Yes. Exactly. And look, like I said at the top, they're normally overrated. It's a team that, you know, is getting close. They're sitting there with eight, nine wins a season. Everyone wants to buy the national title hype. Well, this year, everyone's throwing them in the trash. I always say with Notre Dame, most times you want to sell when everyone's hyping them up. You want to buy when everyone's throwing them in the trash. And you say overrated. I think a better way to say that is there's a premium on them because, and, and that ultimately leads to them being overrated, but it's because of that fan base. There's just certain people that's going to bet Notre Dame no matter what. And there's teams like USC, UCLA, or not UCLA so much in football, but Alabama, Ohio State, the real pedigree teams. One way to think about it is sit at McCarran Airport, sit at your local airport, and other than the local teams, w- which jerseys do you see? Those are the teams often that are going to have that premium on them. Real quick, and then we're going to get Ken's thoughts on Notre Dame this year, is this works in reverse, right? If a team won a lot of close games, you tend to think next year they're going to drop off, where in this case with Notre Dame, they lost a lot of close wins, so you tend to think they're going to do better. Yeah, and we also got to look at the factor that Notre Dame first six years under Brian Kelly were one of the best teams in the country in close games. Now you say regression towards mean, but sometimes coaching like Belichick in in the NFL with a quarterback like Tom Brady, they're still always, I would say, win more of the close games than they're going to lose. Oh, see, now we could have a whole podcast. I agree with Belichick and Brady, but as far as I can see, that's the only team, quarterback combo, let's call it, team and quarterback combo, that – history says they win more close games than they lose. And it's tough, though, because you need a sample size big enough. A team might win a bunch of close games for three years. Doesn't mean that it's not luck, right? Because it might only be 12 games, right? So if you go nine and three in close games over three years, does that really mean anything? So when you look, the the math guys, and, and again, I'm a math guy like, you know, hey, finance grad from Ohio State, math guy, but I'm not a PhD. If you look at the PhDs in math, they tend to say these close games even out, and I just defer. I can, I'll kneel. But it's human. But, it, but but it's human instinct to think otherwise, right? This guy's clutch. Montana's clutch. But the math guys say no. Ken, real quick, what's your thoughts on Notre Dame in general? Notre Dame in general, I think they're going to be okay. I mean, you lose a guy like Kaiser, and there was a lot of uh, controversy early on with Zaire, who, of course, has transferred to Florida. So they had the two quarterbacks, and uh, Kaiser ended up being that guy. But they did lose some games that they should have probably won uh, in non-Notre Dame-style fashion, especially at home last year. Uh, Kelly's under the gun. A lot of people thought he could have been gone after last year. He got a mulligan. And uh, I think with Wimbush at quarterback, I think they'll be okay. They have 15 starters back, four offensive linemen. That always bodes well for the running game. And uh, they will be back in the mix. There's no doubt that I have them in my top 20. And, uh, you know, I saw that they weren't in, uh, you know, some top 25s initially. So I think they're going to be a team that's going to be right. So, and so, I think so they under be, that they're theory, be dangerous to beat my USC Trojans for sure. So under that theory, you got them top 20-ish. They're not in the AP top 25, so you think they're underrated too. I do. And, RJ, one thing. Let Vegas also tell you that they're underrated in the polls. They're actually favored in week two against a Georgia team that, that's sitting there in the top 20, top 15 of the AP poll. They're actually favored. Now they're at home, but they're laying about a field goal. So, so we session, assume home field at Notre Dame is three? About three, yeah. So they're saying even teams. Exactly. With a team that's ranked – 
15th in the country right now. Interesting. There you go. Vegas says. All right, next. Now, when it comes to overrated, we're going to tease ahead. It's one of our big games. So a little later in the show, whole show is going to be about an hour. A little later in the show, we're going to be breaking down the six biggest games of the week. And then after that, best bets. So a lot of good stuff coming. But the overrated team is amongst those six games. So we'll talk about it there. All right, Ken, you looked at Brad's power ratings. You get to cherry pick. Who's the one you disagree with most amongst all of his? Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers. I just think they're overrated not only by Brad but by the rest of the country as well and the, uh, and the two polls. All right, so if we look at Wisconsin and Brad's numbers, and those are up at pregame.com, every week updated also, he has Wisconsin number 11. The AP has number 9. So it looks like both the popularity, the mainstream media is high on them. Vegas, through Brad Powers, is high on them. Ken Thompson, you think not so high. So first question, where would you have them? I would have them probably more around 15, 16, somewhere in that neighborhood. So just one notch overrated. What are other people seeing that you disagree with? Well, I think they're just looking, you know, right away, you, when you think of Wisconsin football, you think of offensive line. And they have four of their offensive linemen back, which is, which is great. But the running game was, you know, ineffective last year at key points of the season, including a game I was at, your alma mater, Ohio State, at Wisconsin. I happened to be at Camp Randall for that game. And to watch Wisconsin down the stretch of a game that they should have won, not be able to run the ball effectively. Clement didn't do much. Ogbenwali did his job. But, again, the line was inconsistent. You could just see the lack of chemistry. Maybe with four of those starters back, maybe that's why Brad sees them being a little bit higher than I have them. I like Hornetbrook at quarterback. I like having Jazz PV, and I think Fumagalli is one of the better tight ends in the country. But I think their defense is now really up against it. When you lose guys like uh, T.J. Watt to the Steelers, when you lose two starters that are coming back in Jack Sitchie, who played half a little more than half the year last year, had 50 tackles. This guy was your anchor at linebacker. He is out now for the year, and they also recently just lost Zach Bond as well. So you lose two starting linebackers, puts a lot of pressure on T.J. Edwards to lead that defense. And again, that's a key part of Wisconsin because they don't get the four and five star recruits on defense. They get the three star guys. A lot of times, these three star guys they elevate, they become four and five star guys. Just people didn't see it, but Wisconsin has a knack of finding those guys. Right now, I think they're under the gun to find those guys this year. Yeah, and I'm going to agree. Well, with- wait, yeah. <laughs> well, so you agree? Yeah. No, I'm going to agree with certain parts of what he said. So I want to hear what you disagree about. Well, here's where I disagree. Uh, Again, let Vegas tell you, uh, you know, Wisconsin season win total, 10 and a half. The only two teams above them in the entire country would be Alabama and Ohio State. hold on, A lot of that has to do with schedule. Hold on. Mm -hmm. I think you're confused about who's the host. Hold on. Yeah. Is if it's as easy as saying, oh, Wisconsin must really be good because they have a 10 and a half win total. Well, then we don't need expertise. So what I'm saying is he brought up a a litany, Ken, of here's why I'm not as optimistic. Boom, 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 boom. Some you agree with. That's fine because you don't have to think this isn't the best. You don't have them as the best team Wisconsin in the country, right? You're saying they're, you know, 9, 10, 11. I I guess specifically you're saying 11, AP saying 9. What do you disagree with that he said? Well, the linebacker concerns, I, I get it that they've lost two guys. Uh, but I think when you look at the linebackers they still had, and watching spring practice, which is what I did, 
they felt very comfortable even losing two starters at that time that they had a solid two deep. They had a couple positions where they had basically had co-starters. So I think people are going to overreact, and the market's going to overreact. Cici's a much greater loss than Bond. But they also had a couple guys injured last year. You mentioned Cici missed half the season. Chris Orr, who's one of their better linebackers the previous season, missed all last year. He's almost like a returning starter that no one's even considering. So I think that the market's going to overreact to two guys. Where I will agree, if they start having more injuries, then you're dealing with the cluster injuries. And that's where you made a good point. This isn't Alabama or Ohio State where they can just continue to shuffle guys in. One more, they're one or two more injuries away from the front seven from having some issues. But I did not, if you're talking, what did I do with them from those two injuries? Downgrade them maybe a point. So all of a sudden, you know, maybe instead of number 11, maybe they're 12 or 13, depending on where I have people. I did, I did, I will say this. I did see some flashes of brilliance from Shaw last year when he did get in. So if he can deliver running back wise, he and James, I think that they could be okay. That'll take pressure off Hornybrook, but the receiving core is back intact. So that bodes well. I like Hornybrook. I thought he was better than Houston. I thought he was the right guy. Again, we'll wait and see how the running game works. You do have four offensive linemen back. Normally in years past, that bodes great for Wisconsin, but I just didn't think that this offensive line was up to the caliber of say offensive lines that they had for a decade prior. To me, this brings up, first of all, I think we see you guys are both player handicappers. Can I think you even more where who's the center, who's the left tackle? And quite frankly, I know some really successful college football handicappers that don't really get to the player level. So I think we're going to get an insight with the dream preview here that is really unique in that way. And I love you guys debating that, uh, you know, a specific player or whatever. I think, Brad, we came up with something very interesting because when we were on with Colin Cowherd, and that's still up on your Twitter, at BradPower7, on Twitter, at BradPower7, is Colin and I and you did a college football preview, and we were talking about Wisconsin as maybe the long shot best bet. It was in the 40 to 1 range. You have even a better price in your pocket. And... I think there's two different kinds of bets with the team. One is I think there's a heck of a chance this team is going to consistently win throughout the year, and they're going to be underrated. Thus, you look to play them each week on the spread. The other example is if things fall right, in this case the health stays good, Mm -hmm. this team could far exceed expectations. And, oh, by the way, if they get two more injuries at linebacker, and I'm just saying hypothetically, they might be, you know, not, you know, eight and four. And thus, if you're looking to bet each week, that kind of fragileness is a real negative. If you're betting over under win totals, it's even more negative because if someone gets hurt, you could not bet them the next week. But if you bet a win total, you're stuck on them winning or losing the whole year. But if you bet a future... That's one where you're more worried about upside than you are consistency. And just to recap what we talked about with Colin is 30 seconds or so. Why does Wisconsin look so juicy at 40 to 1? Because there's only three or four teams that are going to be favored in every single game they play this year. USC, Alabama, and Ohio State. Well, they're priced in the 8 to 1 for USC. And then in Ohio State, 4 to 1, Alabama, 2 to 1, 3 to 1, depending on where you're shopping at. 
and Wisconsin sitting there at 40 to 1. And look, when you, when you have a big bet like 40 to 1, those are when you can start doing the hedging opportunities. And it's not. So, like, and we'll talk about that in a yeah. moment, but I want to be specific. Why are they favored in every game if they're only the 11th best because team in the country? Because their schedule is an absolute joke. Ex- well, it's not a joke. It just well, randomly went the way it went, right? Well, they, don't and, play and Ohio- they don't play Ohio State. They don't play Penn State. They get Michigan at home. Exactly. And that is the line where they're favored by six, and there's no other game that they're favored by less than a touchdown. So when you have a team 40 to 1, that is only favored by less is never favored by less than six points is the way to say, wow, right? Because if they do even make the Big Ten finals or a championship game, you can start earning even there because obviously they'd have a very tough game most likely against Ohio State. But you were talking about hedging uh, just quickly. Let's say you start hedging um, in the Big Ten championship game. So let's say you bet a hundred to win four thousand. You have a four thousand dollar ticket on Wisconsin. Then what? Uh, depending on how big of a dog they are going to be to Ohio State. Right now, I would say about a touchdown. So I would say 1,000, 1,500 money line. Yeah, and, and it's going to depend again, on exactly how you do it. It yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. The question is you can make it where if they lose the first game, you break even. And if they lose the second game, you make some, you know maybe 500. And if they lose the third game, you make 1,000. And if they win it, you end up making maybe 2,000. Like you can actually, however you think the matchup is, but you have the option to start earning when you have a ticket as big as 40 to 1 without them going all the way. So and I going, that- going right out there with Ohio State. I mean, and that's the thing because I don't have Ohio State winning. Winning the East, really? No, I've got Penn State winning the East. Ooh, all right. Well, we'll have to get to that one. That's interesting. All right, this is the Dream Preview College Football Edition. I'm R.J. Bell. We've got our newest edition, Ken Thompson. We got Brad Powers. Now we're going to shift gears and we're going to be talking about. We're going to put the trends under the microscope. What does that mean? It means that there are a bunch of trends that make the rounds. And I love trends. I'm a trend guy. If you follow me on Twitter, at RJ in Vegas, a lot of NFL trends especially. We'll be doing a lot with Brad's trends in college this year. But I don't think most people understand how to take advantage of trends when they are predictive. And I don't think they understand how to avoid the trends that are not predictive. So we've got three trends. I just want to rapid fire, like, what do we think of these trends? Now, this is a Thursday game. And we usually are not going to be talking the early games because we want you guys to be able to listen, uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whenever you want. Earlier is better, but still. Is, but this is one that applies to a lot of different coaches and teams early in a season. Ohio State, Urban Meyer as coach. But this is more about Urban Meyer, not the Buckeye program. Urban Meyer is 39-10 and 10 against the spread in his career with more than one week to prepare. So obviously week one, more than one week to prepare. In week one, he's nine and three against the spread. So what's the logic? That's what you always have to ask yourself. What is the logic of this trend? If someone said a red-headed, left-handed quarterback east of the Mississippi playing a night game when he was had a bye the week before is 50 and two against the spread. Yeah, 50 and two sounds amazing. But what's the logic? And listen, if, if it's statistically significant, it doesn't matter what the logic is, but that is hard to achieve with trends. So now the question is, can we validate it with logic? So, Brad, this trend on a scale, you know, maybe we'll do this. We'll, we'll come up with some scale, like one to ten or something. How much do you believe this trend is predictive? And tell me the logic. I would say on a scale of one to ten, it's seven or eight. 
And, and look, uh, I don't think it's random because it's just not him being at one program. We're talking he's had this success at four different programs, all at different levels of college football, Bowling Green, Utah, Florida, and Ohio State. So in these roles, he's been an, a dog favorite, large favorite, but with more more than one week to prepare, whether it be a bye season opener or bowl games, you give a, a, a superior guy uh, extra time. And I, my philosophy would be that if you give me extra time and I'm already better than you, I should show my dominance through, you know, over the course of a period of time. So the theory is the superiority is his preparation. Give him more time to prepare. He's going to be able to exert that even more. So it's like Andy Reid off a bye is an example of that. Back in the NCAA tournament, there was always Bobby Knight was better, you know, when it was the Sunday to the Friday or the Saturday to Thursday than he was on the 48-hour turnaround. Because, again, if, imagine a situation where there was no time to prepare. Well, it doesn't matter how good you are at game planning, right? That's an extreme hypothetical, but it wouldn't matter. Well, give you more time, it matters more. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, obviously, the 39 and 10 is a big number. Quickly, Ken, what's your general take on this trend? Would this affect your handicap on this game? Well, Urban Meyer, to me, is one of my favorite coaches. I mean, and I've followed the guy, you know, like uh, Brad was saying, since early days. But not really Bowling Green, but more – Utah on and the guy's just a winner and when the guy does lose he's somebody that I look to play the next time out and, and that's another that's trend just unbelievable yeah. hopefully we won't get to it this year as a Buckeye but the bounce back and and that's another time where great coaching tends to exert itself no doubt you know the thing about you Ken you've got that classic radio voice and you're on Kadon here in Las Vegas Pacific time. What time's your seven show? To seven to nine p.m. Seven to Monday nine, right. and that streams right. That streamed. It's a live app. It's a free app. Oh, he's, he, he's in iTunes. Oh, he's I in mean, a plug can, mode. You hear oh, how yeah, he shifted? Hey. His eyes shifted. Yeah, he went in the plug. You know, at the end of the so day, I was going to smoothly plug you, there but he you went in the mode. <laughs> is guys, it is a deep dive, and it's a great listen. And he's got that radio voice. So I don't. So I've got to have superior information, which in college is tough. So I guess I just have to be funny. Like, that's all I can bring to the table. Just RJ, I'll tell you what. You send me some stuff, though, that's uh, stuff that I'm not looking for or hadn't seen before. So it's all relevant. And, you know, it does come into play. <laughs> well, more so in I'll the get, NFL. I'll give you some kudos there. Yeah. And, and, and Fez and I will be button heads for sure. All right. So our second trend under the microscope. And I, I actually like this already, uh, this segment. Penn State, and you've talked about it. So I'm going to let you mm -hmm. start with this, Ken. And you can talk a little about Penn State sure. and your optimism has covered their last nine games, so obviously of 2016, by over 16 points per game. So by definition, the spread is expectation. They've exceeded expectation all nine times, and they've done it by over two touchdowns. That is strong. The question is, and you hear it all the time, has the line caught up yet? And sometimes, especially if a team is pedigreed, lines catch up very fast if, if a team's underrated. When a team isn't pedigreed, isn't as popular, not so much. I think Penn State's in that, you know, second tier of pedigree. You know, obviously not first tier anymore like Joe Paw days. One, what do you think of the trend and how does it tie into this idea of momentum, underrated, et cetera? I'll say first off with Penn State, not only, and Brad and I talked about this last night, but not only – that miracle comeback win against your Buckeyes where a couple fluke plays, including the block kick, just not only saved their season, and they parlayed that into the nine straight wins before losing 52-49 to SC in a very exciting standalone Rose Bowl game on New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day, I should say. But 
That block kick saved James Franklin's career in Happy Valley. Had he lost that game, there's no doubt in my mind he is gone. He is not even the coach of Penn State right now. They had gotten buried 49-10 to by Michigan. They had not won any substantial games in his career there. If they lose at home, and they were getting buried, it was 21-7 but could have easily been 31-7. Penn State let him hang around, and then they did not cash in at the end of the third quarter when they could have tacked on. And then, of course, the block kick changed everything, changed the fortunes of Penn State, and saved the career, and now has turned into a multi-million dollar extension for James Franklin there at Penn State. Okay, so first of all, Brad, do you agree Franklin would have very likely been gone? Yeah, not only the 49-10 loss to Michigan, but losing to your in-state rival Pittsburgh, unacceptable. I would put it 50-50. With, uh, and if you were asking me, well, what, give me a $20 bill, uh, what are you going to bet? I would bet that he wouldn't have been the coach. All right, so, wow. So here's the question. If he would have been fired, is it because you see this all the time. There's a coach that's close to being fired. Um, I think, and again, I know the stoops is a little bit. We talk about this occasionally is if I'm remembering right with Mark at Kentucky, there was a point where a couple more losses, they, he was in trouble, and then they ended up reeling off like five wins, and then he ended up signing a five-year ex- – it's, it's weird. You would mm-hmm. think there would be a far distance from you know, firing a coach – to give an extension, but it seems like it almost is either or. It's almost like in poker, either fold or raise. It's either give extensions or fire. You would think they'd, you know, in the old days, it'd be like, hey, let him coach out his contract and see where we land. Would it have been, like, if you're a Indiana University's chancellor or whatever, you get to decide who gets hired. Is Franklin someone you'd be anxious to hire? Is he an elite coach? Well, he's elite enough for a 7-5 and five record, and that's Great in Bloomington. They'll take that all year. I mean, it's is like he Kirk, elite? Oh, it's uh, like is Kirk, he a top Kirk 10? Ferentz, Kirk Ferentz in Iowa. He's been there, what, 18, 19 years, whatever it is. They're okay with 8-4, and four, especially when you get a win against Michigan every couple years. They're okay with that there. It's not acceptable at Ohio State, and it's still not acceptable at Penn State, despite all the, the cloud with the Sandusky crowd. So, that now is gone, and now they're looking to win again at a high level. If we were doing a snake draft of all the coaches, right, obviously Saban, Sweeney, Urban Meyer, where is Franklin on your list? Is he 10? Is he 20? 25. Brett? 20 to 25. Okay. So, all right. So, this all leads into the idea you think they're underrated, though, this year. You have him winning. So, what is it? If you don't love him as a coach, Franklin, at Penn State, what is it about Penn State that makes you so optimistic? I like the offense coming back, and I think the defense. Now, they have three back on the offensive line. They have nine back overall. McSorley grew up in the Rose Bowl, but he really grew up after they came back and beat Ohio State. That's when he went right to Purdue, won the next game, took care of Iowa, dismantled Iowa, didn't even let them hang around. Those were things that Penn State had problems with early before the Ohio State game was playing down to the level of the competition. When they played weaker teams, they let these teams hang around. Once they got that confidence by beating the Buckeyes, their whole fortunes changed, and they were a different team. And quite frankly, they should have beat USC if it's not for Darnold's miracle plays there down the stretch and a couple bad calls, I thought, by Penn State. They should have won that Rose Bowl. Here's where I disagree with you. And again, I'm going to go back to the market. Uh, If there's been one team that's seen a lot of action go against them, whether it be the game of the year market, the big games, the Ohio State, the Michigan games, or even week one against Akron, you're starting to see at least the professional bettors bet against Penn State, thinking that they are overrated, thinking that their lines from last year have been inflated. The Michigan game opened two touchdowns, down to a touchdown. Akron games moved about a touchdown in week one. 
I have my concerns because if you go individual plays, a lot of their plays, going even to the Ohio State game, to me I would consider fluke plays. There's a lot of heaving a prayer type of plays that Trace McSorley was making, and the guy that was catching a lot of them, Chris Godwin, is in the, in the NFL right now. So I, I think they're overrated. I like their schedule. So you think they're overrated. Now remember, let's define something here. A team can be overrated and underrated over the span of two weeks. Meaning you're saying there's been a drastic, a significant market shift away from Penn State. Well, we're sitting here at the end of August. Ken's saying as of today, this team, Penn State, is underrated. Doesn't mean they weren't overrated six weeks ago. So as of right now, Brad, do you think they're still underrated? Still well, I'm overrated. Sorry, still overrated. Slightly. Still. Definitely not as much as what they were So if on. I said in the first five games of the year, you've got to play blind. On or against, in, in all five games, on or against Penn State, you go against. Absolutely. Same question you can. No, there's no way because they're going to they have revenge on their mind against Pittsburgh. But whatever which is that is, that's going to be. But those that, first five games. I, well, I got it, play. but that's going to be in the handicap. Yeah. Meaning is, is that whatever handicapping factors, oh, they're off arrest. They're not off arrest. It's all going to be built in the line. So, but you think they're underrated, so in theory, you'd want to take them in those five games. I right? will, because I think Ohio State's overrated, and I think Penn State's underrated, and it's because Penn State has to go to the horseshoe, and I understand that, especially coming off the Michigan game. I totally understand that, but I think the offense is good enough and far superior to Ohio State's offense right now. I don't think JT Barrett is near as good as people think he is, and I don't think the running game is going to be near what it was over the last seven years. There's no Ezekiel Elliott back Somehow there. he's finding a way to bash Ohio. Yeah. He slipped well, it in no, there. No, I'm not bashing them. I'm, I'm just saying they should not be such a prohibitive favorite in the East like they are. I just don't see it. And, and what, you know, like, what, what odds do we see? Them. What odds do we see with Penn State to win the East? Penn State is 4-1 to one to win the East, I believe. Wow, so yeah. that's a strong position you've yes. got. Okay, this is the dream preview, R.J. Bell's dream preview. I'm R.J. We got Ken Thompson. We got Brad Powers. The third of three trends under the microscope. Then we're getting to the big, big games. This is a good one from Brad. Since 1999, the defending champion is 18-0 straight up in its season opener. 10-6 against the spread, two no-lined contests. Okay, so the reason I like this is there's all kind of trends around about Super Bowl champions and all this stuff. And in general, back to the concept of a premium, there's going to be a premium on the national champion. What could counteract that premium is if that first game back is like a celebration. It's like, let's make a statement that, you know, Mike Tomlin. And again, I'm a Steelers big time fan and six Super Bowls. And the thing is about Pittsburgh is I'm not a huge Tomlin fan when it comes to in-game stuff, the game, you know, management, but as a motivator, and I still remember after we won, you know, one of the six, I can't remember, is <laughs> is Tomlin was interviewed. It was the Thursday night opener. It would have been after the Arizona victory. And he said that team was great. They were the Super Bowl champ. He was speaking of last year's team like another team. And it really is, right? Everyone came back that was they chose to come back. Some people didn't. And this year's team has to prove themselves. I think that mentality with a good coach, a coach good enough 
to win a national championship probably is applicable in week ones. So as much as I don't think I want to fire so much on these big favorites, and, and this year, you know, Brad, as you know, we've got Clemson as a 40-point favorite against Kent State, but they are exceeding expectations. Why do you think that is? Well, as far as Clemson individually? Oh, I, as far as defending champions first game back. I think you hit the nail on the head with a celebratory uh, type of thing. It's an excitement of, you know, because you really a lot of times don't get that at the college level. You don't get a parade like you do uh, as far as that. So your next big gathering of all your fans is usually the, the, the next game. And usually a lot of those games that they're 18-0 and 0 in is a home game. And they're playing sometimes. And to me, what's more impressive is the – because. If there's a bunch of cupcake, I mean, obviously, if Clemson wins by seven here, they're going to go to 19 and 0. But they well, you know, they extremely underperformed in that hypothetical. But 10 and six against the spread, when you know there's a premium, that tells me there is a motivational factor. And yeah, and, and we're going to get to this later. But a lot of times, people, I, I you, you would think the defending national champ is getting, you know, paying a premium price. I see the opposite. I think a lot of people think that it's so tough to repeat in college football. A lot of times that might be on the futures market, but you you don't think in week one or week two or week three, they're going to be like, hey, I want to fade the national champions. Yeah, overall, I would say that's correct. Well, especially (laughs) when they don't want to fade. But you're talking since 1999. So, you know, five or six times you're talking about Alabama and Alabama is a different breed. When I take them over any other team, they don't go out there that first game. They're not. They do what they're expected to. To do what Saban expects them to do, and that's win championships. So when they come up short, like they did at the end of Clemson last year, you're going to get them refocused. But when they come off the championship roll, Alabama, there's no hoopla and partying and stuff. You did what you were supposed to do down there. It's expected that they win. Clemson, maybe not so much. Dabo Sweeney, heck of a coach, big extension now too, a lot of money there. But he's a guy that takes game by game. He's a guy that is an Alabama guy, you know, back in his playing days, that he is focused, and he's a guy that I really think, you know, will have his teams ready. But they had several scares last year. You look back at the national championship. They beat this Troy team that opens in Boise State by six points in Death Valley. So they, there were a couple games that early on you go back and you're like, wow, but the good teams find a way to get it done. And, and let's be honest, RJ, out of those 18, eight of them are Saban and Meyer. So you got to, you know, tip your cap to them. You know, year after year after year, getting their team pr- prepared for you know. But the, and opener. those two guys, yes. you, you you call them, and they're they're one and one a. It's Nick Saban, it's Urban Meyer. They expect to win their teams. It trickles down to them. They expect to win as well. And we talked about Meyer to start seasons. Nick Saban last nine seasons, eight and one against the spread. The first game of the year, and we'll be talking Alabama, Florida State in a moment. In fact, we'll talk about that next. We were going to talk a little SEC. And we know people love to either love or hate them. And, Brad, you think the ACC is better. We're not going to talk about that because we're a little tight on time. We will tease ahead, though, is, and we announced it this week, is we've got a, a new show on the Fox Sports Radio National Network. This is the first show from a Las Vegas odds and information company like pregame.com ever on one of the big three, CBS, ESPN, or Fox. Ken actually is one of the few ever on any national network to have a national show. For years, he had a Yahoo show that was from Vegas with a Vegas perspective. But Ken wasn't one of the top three. We're gonna, if, you were, if we were the, in the fourth network, we would have said top four. So we just kind of found where the space we could be alone. So we're going to smile about that one. But that 
to me, that was a hell of an accomplishment. It was a, a show with a ton of popularity you had. And really, you're doing the same show on Kadon with the 50,000 watts and, and tons of listeners there. So on that show, that's going to be Straight Out of Vegas is the name of the show. 11 to 12 Pacific time Friday night. And you're letting out of the bars, right? Two to three Eastern. And on Saturday, we need an extra hour. So it's 10 to midnight Pacific, 1 to 3 Eastern. And that will be every week. And this week, Brad, Friday night, we'll be talking about Clemson, Sweeney, ACC, SEC, all that stuff. But we don't want to miss any of the big games here on the Dream Preview. It is a preview. So let's get straight to it. We've got a list of them. We're going to go in reverse chronological order. Because if somehow you're listening later than Saturday, you can skip the Saturday games we're going to be talking about in a moment. First, though, Monday night, because there's no NFL. There's a Monday game. There's a couple Sunday games. We're going to do about a minute or two each on these games. Monday night, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Uh, Number one factor, extra time to prep for the option for Tennessee. They're going to need it because the last six games of last season, they were arguably one of the worst rush defenses in the country, allowing over 300 rushing yards per game. Key factor for me, they've been dealing with some injuries. Their middle starting middle linebacker will be out. And if there's one guy on a defense that, and when you're playing the option that I don't want to lose, it's maybe the middle linebacker, the safety spot. So uh, games in Atlanta, uh, I, I think the crowd's going to be 60-40 in favor of Georgia Tech, but I will give them an extra point just for sleeping in their own beds. So slight home field advantage there for Georgia Tech in the, in the new stadium. Okay, so let's talk the idea of the option and, and why extra time helps. When you have quirky offenses, quirky defenses, something you don't just typically see, something you don't see every year in your conference especially, then you've got to prepare. It's, it's new. And if you've got to prepare, more time is better. So the theory is, if you're playing the Georgia Tech option, it's better to play them in week one. Yes. On the other hand, Tennessee lost their middle linebacker against the option. That's a negative. So do those even themselves out? What, what's the net-net? Uh, it's still positive for Tennessee because, I mean, th- this injury now happened within the last week. Uh, so that's a negative because you're expecting to have your guy this whole offseason prepping for it. But still – Having spring practices, your entire fall camp to get ready for it, still a positive for Tennessee. And remember, guys, here is a great tip. If someone tells you that something's a sure thing, someone tells you this is a lock, someone tells you this is even 62%, run, run. You don't have to listen to Brad or Ken. You don't have to listen to me or anyone at pregame. You can listen to whoever you want. But I can guarantee you, if they're telling you about locks and short things, or if they're picking every TV game, the only way a bet can be long-term profitable if the line is wrong. If you're laying 11 to 10 and the line is right, you can win 10 in a row, just like flipping a coin. But in the long run, you've got to win 52.38%, and the only way to do that is if the line is wrong. So a lot of these big games, we're going to give you nuggets that you may – care about and say you know rj i don't care i'm betting for recreation and if so brad might give you a 51 percent winner and i can tell you you lose a lot less hitting 51 percent than hitting 49 percent. but if you're betting for investment most of the time we run down six or seven games there might be two opinions maybe and one might be on the total and otherwise it's going to be leans now at the very end of every dream preview we give you best bets from the Wise guy round table. Those are games they're betting with their own money. 
right, Ken, quickly, Tennessee, Georgia Tech. Yeah, it's a game that I'll probably just watch and maybe get involved in running. There's so many question marks. Mills booted off the team early. Great running back for Georgia Tech, but couldn't stay out of trouble. Uh, Dormady, a new quarterback for Tennessee. Again, there's a lot of replacing to do, not only Dobbs, but also Kamara, who's on to the NFL as well. So it's a team last year that Butch Jones had his chance, had the proper recruiting class there, was a team that should have won the eastern half of the SEC, did not, and now pressure's on because they lose too many guys on the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. On the defensive line, they only have one starter back, and I don't know how good they're going to be. I want to see them. That's, of course, a main thing when you're going against the option and a veteran option attack Paul Johnson puts out that these guys are going to have to learn kind of like as they go, and we'll see. Because practicing against it and then playing against it when the guys that you're playing against know how to run it like the back of their hand as opposed to you trying to simulate it, two different things. So I major advantage to me, Georgia Tech. But do you agree that that advantage is lessens if the other team has more time to prep? Or yeah, for sure, for okay. sure. I mean, it doesn't matter because under that is. theory, that hey, there's a quirky offense. You would want to bet Georgia Tech in every out of conference. Because would you agree being in conference year after year, the coaches get used to it that the quirkiness is less of a factor? You're right, and then scheduling comes into play. So you're right in in a conference game uh, or or when you get them, if you get them say after a bye week you're happy because you had that extra week to prepare for them so if they're that'd the only be, option to attack in your conference. That'd be interesting, Brad. If you have a, I know this is an 80-hour week now we're moving into, but it would be Georgia Tech, since they've been running the option, every non-conference game that the opponent did not have extra prep, which would be, what, two or three games a year? Sure. Right? Yeah. Games oh, two, yeah. games two bet, and three for that'd sure. Be, that'd be interesting to see, is Georgia Tech 60%, let's say, over you know, the last I'll try and years. get that info yeah, by next that's, week. Yeah, that's an yeah. interesting, because it seems to fit, right? Is, sure. Is, is the being in conference mitigates a little bit the advantage of the quirkiness for, the, for Clemson in this case, or I'm sorry, Georgia Tech in this case, and the extra prep mitigates. So if you don't have conference, you don't have extra prep, it seems like that edge would be there. Yes. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. All right, next game. Oh, this is good. This is the game that we had the overrated team. So it's West Virginia, Virginia Tech. Let's start. Brad, who's overrated? This is back from your power ratings against AP. Yeah, it's clearly West Virginia, uh, a team that only returns eight starters. Uh, It's tough to evaluate you know, the quarterback spot, they lose a three-year starter, but they might actually be upgraded to that position in Will Greer. But my main concern for them is it comes on the defense side of the ball. A very junior-senior senior laden defense each of the last two years, only three returning starters on that side of the ball. And again, let Vegas tell you who is overrated. These two teams are, what, one spot of one another in the AP poll, but yet on a neutral field where this game's going to be played, you have Virginia Tech as a five-point favorite. If you're one between one spot in the AP poll on a neutral field, where you're thinking maybe one point, two points, Virginia Tech more than a field goal favorite in this one, and I think that's the correct line uh, in that West Virginia is overrated in the AP poll. Not going to argue with that. And Holgerson has been a coach that a lot of people thought would really excel there in West Virginia, and the offense at times has delivered, but a lot of times they've been – less than productive uh as far as Fuente coming over from Memphis he was that guy he was that next trend of coaches as we see a Herman from Houston go to Texas that type of guy and Fuente's a guy that they they, of course they took their time when they were going to replace Beamer they wanted to make sure and because Memphis was right there regionally they were able to see and keep an eye on that team that he elevated so I think you have a coaching mismatch here with Justin Fuente again Holgerson on the offensive side is okay but defense like you said they're going to be hurting this year and I thought the big 12, very overrated, 
And RJ's Buckeyes proved that last year going into Norman and just pounding Oklahoma. So right away, that took the Big 12 really out of the mix as far as any championship possibilities. Couldn't it have been Ohio State was just an amazingly good team? Could have been. Could have been. Somehow, though, it seems However, like However, that Fiesta Bowl let us... What is it, what is w- it Ken, With doubts about, in our mind. What is it about your psychology, pathology? No, we'll call it psychology, that makes you hate winners. Do you hate all winners or no, just no, Ohio I, State? I'm a big UFC fan, and I grow up. Oh, right there away. it but is. But my pops was there an Ohio State guy. My dad was an Ohio uh, State guy. So you're guy. rebelling against your father. Well, that was part of it. That's good. <laughs> and, and, and then I always wondered why the Big Ten back had that gentleman rule. They couldn't go to the Rose Bowl two years in a row where the Pac-8 was like, oh, we're going. We'll go again. And USC would go. And sorry, Ohio State won it, but they can't go because it's a gentleman rule. What did you do with your O.J. Simpson jersey? Uh, I didn't. I actually. Oh, I, 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 Ken's actually speechless. I, I, no, I, I, I didn't have. I did have an autograph from him. I met him and Marcus Allen both together when I was a waiter at Gladstone's over there in Pacific Palisades. There's a joke about them. waiters and him. Unbelievable. Yeah, gonna, no, I'm, I'm telling you, so not a good one. And uh, you know, <laughs> not again. He's not a good one. No, not a good. <laughs> oh, not not a good joke. Not <laughs> again, OJ. <laughs> hey, look, October first, right around the corner. That'll be a big day here in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the dream preview. That's Ken. Thompson and that was Brad making those OJ jokes. I'm RJ Bow. All right, wait, that was me. Never mind. Brad, Brad's looking they like know your voice, RJ. Ah, Come that's on. true. That's why it was funny. See, leave that to me. You just provide the great okay, info. Right, okay, <laughs> I'll be the straight guy. Next game. Go. All right, so let's do this though. I want to do force leans on these games because even if it's 50 and a half to 49 and a half, it's value. These are big games. Okay, so force lean against the spread. WVU, Virginia Tech. Ken, I'm taking Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech. But probably not batting. Either. No, not batting. Too much unknown. I think the only reliable unit on the field is Virginia Tech's defense. And a lot a, of unknowns. There's a lot of these games, RJ, weeks one and two, that I will be more involved in running. In running as an in-game batting. In-game batting, yes. There's certain questions that can get answered in your mind yes. from the early part. Lines of scrimmage, all that stuff. Oh, I like that. I so, because a lot of, unless, you know, the real negative of in-game batting is if you're batting 10, 20,000 like some guys do, you can't get, get down a full amount. But if you're batting even normal amount, you know, even a thousand bucks a game, you can get down in-game, even if it's one or two cracks or one or two different places. So, that's a th- thing we'll talk about a good bit, guys, is... If there is clear uncertainty in a game that can be answered early, oftentimes you get that answer before the market adjusts fully to the truth of that answer. And the market's had three months to adjust here. I was super aggressive early on when they were released at a couple places Memorial Day weekend. But after three months of – and it's not the public betting, it's professionals betting a college football game in July. These week one numbers, at least right now, are pretty sharp. All right, next game, Force Lean, or if you're thinking of batting it, we want to hear that too. UCLA, Texas, Sunday. Yeah, I'll be on UCLA, despite the fact Kevin Sumlin's one of the better August-September head coaches in college football. In fact, he has the best ATS mark of any coach, 24-11. and 11. What I like here is UCLA having a significant quarterback advantage in this one. Josh Rosen comes back from injury. That was the downfall of UCLA last year. They were actually playing – Decent football, almost beat A&M on the road last year, beat BYU. We're sitting there at 3-2. and two. He gets injured, downfall. He's back, top five quarterback in the country. On the flip side, A&M going to be you know, whoever's going to start a quarterback for him. It's been a, a quarterback controversy for them dating back to the spring. It's going to be making their first start in the Rose Bowl. Give me the Bruins. I agree a thousand percent. If Rosen gets time 
and UCLA's running game is better than it was last year. Last year, one of the worst in the country. In fact, I think it was the worst in UCLA's history. Barely over 1,000 yards collectively. Now, it didn't help when Rosen went down in the sixth game. But, uh, yeah, the kid can definitely play at the next level, and he knows he has to have a big year. He's got a plethora of receivers coming back, and I think the running game will be better. The offensive line will be okay. The defense will be adequate. And UCLA is still dangerous. They're a dark horse in the south of the Pac-12. Let's talk about UCLA's coach. I, from people I respect, it seems to be that this guy has really turned this program around. Discipline, fundamentals, like a, just in a good direction. But like we've kind of referenced down year last year, and as we talked about with Penn State, they lose a couple of games as favorites UCLA that they should win. This coach might get fired, right? Yeah, but it's not. I mean, he definitely deserved a mulligan last year. When Rosen goes down, you're forced to put Fawful in, and the running game was already struggling. So Rosen was winning games on his own, basically. I mean, again, the receiving core is good enough, but yeah, too much. How good of a coach? We were talking about Franklin. Too much pressure on Moore. I mean, that's, that's not right. To put him on a hot seat, I'd throw last year out. He beat USC the first three years he got to L.A., and he said he was going to do that, and UCLA had been in SC's shadow for years and years. SC got it together in that fourth year, and now they've won a couple in a row. But still, that game is very competitive. No matter how good SC is, UCLA with Mora at the helm is still going to be respectful enough that they can knock off SC, and their recruiting is going to hold its own inside Los Angeles, which is big. So, ranking coaches, where do you put the UCLA coach? I put him ahead of Franklin. Uh, so, maybe 18, 17? Yeah, so, well, so, I'd say maybe between 17 and 24. Same question. About the same as Franklin. Uh, hasn't gotten over the hump, a major bowl win. Uh, but they were consistently a winner, which they hadn't been for since Terry Donahue was there in the mid-'90s. It's just they had a hiccup last year. And, again, everyone overreacts. And that's only because Rosen age. went down. Exactly. You lose him for half the season. I'll take any of your good top quarterbacks out unless you're, you have a team like Obama or somebody that's so deep that you could plug somebody else in there. Ohio State. No. Not this year. You don't even know who the backup is to Barrett this year. Come on, you're in trouble. But, but, I mean, they won a national championship, Ken, with a third-string quarterback. Yeah, that can't and that wasn't oh, it, it looks like you're bringing back yeah. like a bad memory. Yeah, like yeah, he has no, post-traumatic so, stress. No, no, listen, I, I have nothing. I Because of Pops, and he passed away 10 years ago, I root for Ohio State on certain doesn't occasions. Seem, doesn't now, come What's ma- those occasions? Let me tell you, I married, well, because I married into Wisconsin Badger uh, last year, so I was in Camp Randall, so of course I'm rooting for the Badgers. And the funniest thing about being at that game real quick was that you had no clue who was rooting for who. You went to the restaurant and go, hey, good. And you look, he's got an Ohio State. It's all red and white. They had the same colors on. <laughs> Listen, great. Ken, it's a br- the bright light shine on the dream preview. Just, just be ready. I'm ready. He doesn't seem to be flustered. No. Just a little with the OJ. The OJ <laughs> got him just a little bit. All right. We've got – oh, quick question about taxes. So I did something on Twitter where I put the coaches Texas A&M. Texas? Um, oh, Herman? You're talking about Oh, Texas? okay. Ta- A&M. Okay. Yeah, good point. You know, actually, though, let's talk Texas just one second because okay. it is in my mind right now, and I had it scribbled down. Thank you. Is right now, if you look at the coaches poll as it came out and you look at the future payoff, Tennessee or Texas was like, you know, 35 to 1 or something. And they were 24th in the country, where like West Virginia, who you know you aren't high on, was like 500 to one, and they were number 20 or whatever in the coaches' poll. So, is this just the premium on Hook'em Horns, or is there a reason that Vegas seems to be so much higher on on Texas? 
Uh, Tom Herman. I think uh, he's he's viewed right now as a top 20 coach. I still have my doubts. Ken and I talked about this. I look, it's great when you can get up and be as it as Houston and you can dominate the Oklahomas and the Louisvilles of the world, beat a Florida State in a bowl game. But to me, the question I have is he didn't show a lot of maturity last year. Uh, they lose uh, as a three touchdown favorite to SMU, lose to Navy, lose to Memphis. Great coaches when Urban was at some of those lower levels were ha- having undefeated seasons even after big wins. Tom Herman lost three games when he was clearly uh, they had far superior talent to those three teams that he lost to. There you go, and then parlay that into the Las Vegas Bowl and you and lose to San Diego State when you had a superior advantage as far as talent overall outside of Donnell Pumphrey, the little guy they couldn't find him. But Texas, to me, is, uh, is a team that has a good, solid defense. Now, Charlie Strong, I think, got screwed in Austin. They wanted him to clean out the riffraff. They didn't want another bailer off the field. Okay, so he cleans out all the riffraff, but all of a sudden that was a lot deeper than any of the boosters in Texas thought it was going to be. So instead of four or three or four guys going, it was eight or nine guys going and a lot of talent, a lot of four and five star talent that was gone. Strong wouldn't have it, wanted to clean out the program. All of a sudden he didn't have his recruits in there yet in full capacity to where he could win there. He which had enough. I think bring, he got shafted. He got which, screwed. Which I think and, brings up the point, though, that. The, the way we turn things around in society today, instant decisions, instant criticism or That's adulation right. is when a guy like, um, you know, comes in a new program, who, whoever he is, his players don't start playing, let's say, until they're juniors. I mean, yeah, you mm-hmm. can have some sophomores play, but you've got to give them those three or four years. Exactly. But, and, the, and here's the thing. Once they started losing games, then it was a problem. But. The writing was on the wall for the boosters when they lost in Lawrence. When they lost to Kansas, you just cannot do that as Texas. You cannot. You cannot. You had one so, job. It doesn't yeah. exactly. You so cannot not in year lose. three. Not in year and three. That, and that was the thing. And plus, Kansas was on that long conference losing streak. You know what's so funny? So magnified though? even more. Kansas back when Vince Young was there actually almost beat. Texas within Texas, not that it means anything, but it, it's like when you have a bad season and you have one of those crazy losses, it is it affirms what everyone's thinking anyway, oh, this program's in the toilet. But when you're a great program and you have a crazy loss, it's just, huh, okay, it happens. And really, you just got to wonder, those, those emblematic losses that kind of crush someone, put a stake through the heart, you know, maybe that's not even fair the way people think about it. And if you really look at the great programs in college or pro, there's usually continuity of coaching. I mean, obviously the Steelers are the ultimate and Chuck Noll in 1988 should have been gone, but whatever they lost over those couple of seasons extra with Chuck Noll, the sense of a Tomlin wanting to stay a coward wanting to stay, meaning when Tomlin retires, unless you're a coach, it's got the, one of the top five jobs in the NFL. Don't you want the Steelers job? Not just because it's the Steelers, but because of the way they treat their coaches. And I think that that same thing applies in any job. It can be college coaching. Any job is if the, the, the boss who makes the ultimate decision is reasonable, you're going to get better people. I will say this, that Texas has a golden opportunity, and we will find out how good a coach Herman is right out the gate because they play USC week three in the Coliseum. There's no pressure on them to win that game, but they get UFC off a, off a tough physical game against Stanford after opening against Western Michigan. So major advantage for Texas there. Going there, no pressure. How good are you, Herman? Let's see, because like you said, we saw him elevate Houston big time, but then when he was expected to win games that he should have won last year, he did not deliver. What's the early line on that, Brad? Uh, early line has USC favored by about 13. 
So, like you said, hardly any expectations to win that one. Guys, we've got six minutes left, and we've got three games and two oh. best bets. We're rapid-firing from here. That's great when you have too much good information to fit in the show. All right, about 30 seconds each, Michigan, Florida, Saturday. Overreaction to eight players suspended for Florida. It only moved my power rating a half point. A lot of people say depth concerns for Florida. Well, Michigan doesn't run 80 to 90 offensive plays a game to take advantage of those depth concerns that Florida might have on offense. I will be betting Florida anything above a field goal. I think both teams will struggle to score early. I think it'll be a defensive battle. Uh, I think uh, without Jake Butt and uh, you know, several other key offensive weapons there, that Michigan's going to take a while to figure things out because Florida's defense is still darn good. And I think Florida will miss their leading receiver, and uh, they're going to go with three quarterbacks. All three are going to play. I think this game's a dead under. When you talk about the suspension, and Brad said it was a small downgrade, what's your downgrade on the suspension? It's uh, big enough because he's always one of the few big play receivers that Florida has or big play players that they have right now. Again, they'll probably develop some three, four games into the season, but right now it's a key loss. Quick, over under Michigan's AP final ranking end of the season, Brad? Uh, Ten. They, they won't be that high. So? I'll say 20. I think 20. Those, yes. So you have to time the ranked 20 or worse. I was like, no, 15 or worse if he says oh. 10. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so, so you're so saying about 15. So if they're, so if they're, no, I'm saying it. So if they're 16 or, or beyond, then I would win the battle with Brad. I think Michigan is a top 20 team at best this year. Interesting. A lot of debate on Michigan. Because on one hand, a lot of return. You know, Harbaugh doesn't no, even know who's quarterback. He thinks Bates going to go, but yeah. maybe not. And, and also, though, when you're that good as Harbaugh, who knows, right? He's, a good, he's, he's recruited, and they have speed there, something they lacked for years, as did Ohio State. But things have changed with Meyer and Harbaugh. We've been winning national titles since uh, in 2000. When was the lack of speed? When we won the national title against Miami? Was that the wait, lack wait, of speed? Hold on, hold on. Give me, give, give me 10 minutes and then throw, throw a flag. Ah, yeah. wow. I was at that game, yeah. baby. I thought it was perfect. All right. <laughs> Bama, Florida State. Oh, wow. I hate that. Look, pure power rating for me has this game probably Alabama 4, so that usually signifies that should be a bet on Florida State and a significant one. Can't, can't hold myself to do it. Saban, 8-1 and one against the spread in those openers. We mentioned it. And the key matchup to watch, Florida State's offensive line has got to protect DeAndre Francois. If they can't, I could see it getting out of hand. Yeah, I'm not thinking that uh, they're going to have the same pass rush Bama as they did last year early on without Jonathan Allen, and you lose Jackson in the secondary. Minka Fitzpatrick is outstanding, though, to anchor the strong safety position there, so they still have plenty of leadership. The running stable for Alabama is four deep now, and it is darn good. And if Bo Scarborough doesn't get hurt against Clemson, he had two touchdowns, 130 yards. They're winning that game going away. So I think Bama will be ready for it. I'm not sure if Francois can deliver. He doesn't have Dalvin Cook, but give him a little time, and I think that game's going to be very exciting one that i'll probably get involved in again in running as it's going all right i'm making an executive decision byu lsu i'm we're not going to go over if you want anything on this check out ken on the radio for example is a good example or up at pregame.com let's go to best bets and first show of the year and i tell you i really like that trends under the microscope we'll get the timing straight so we're not rushed with anything and maybe ken will tell less stories you know bashing ohio state too Maybe in post-production, we'll take those out. No, we don't do any post. We just leave it in, right? Even, even when, you know, it's not so good or, or <laughs> accurate, let's say, against the Buckeyes. All right, best bet time. Brad Powers, we mentioned all kind of free content up at pregame. Also, his premium picks up at pregame. And, 
you know, his totals are unbelievable. And if you're looking to bet for fun, you probably don't want to play totals unless it's a TV game. But if you're looking to bet for profit, well, totals are a softer market. There's no doubt about that. Best bet of the week on the Dream Preview, Brad Powers. Yeah, we're going way off the board here. Miami of Ohio at Marshall. Game is a pick em. Agreed with the initial significant line move. All the money's been on Marshall. I got that. Miami of Ohio opened up about a touchdown favorite, but now it's gone too low. Miami of Ohio is one of the most experienced teams in the country. I think Marshall has a significant problem. That's a team that went from 10 wins to three, and it wasn't fluky. That was just a horrible team last year. Meanwhile, you had Miami of Ohio, first team in history, 0-6 to make a bowl, and they should have beaten Mississippi State. I think they're significantly even better than last year's team. Wrong team I, at a pick em, I, I My pure power rating is Miami 3. Quick thoughts on that game. I can't disagree. I like the way Miami of Ohio closed last year, and you're right. They bring back, what, 18 starters, so somewhere Gus maybe. Gus Raglan even... threw one interception in the last seven games. That was the difference. He started game seven on. Miami of Ohio is a legit – if you're looking for a team as a sleeper to come out of nowhere, that's a team to be Trying looking to out for. Trying to follow in Big Ben's footsteps there out of Miami of Ohio. It's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ken Thompson, best bet of the week. All right, I'm going to take a team from Alabama, and it's not the Crimson Tide, and it's not Auburn. It's Troy. I like Troy a lot. I like this team. Last year I had them against Clemson when they went into Death Valley. Silver, solid quarterback. Chun, heck of a running back. They go to the Smurf turf. They go up to Boise. Look, Harzen's not a bad coach, but he's no Chris Peterson. The recruiting has fallen off there. They're decent as far as what they bring back, and Rippon's a heck of a quarterback. But he loses Spurbeck, who is all everything, like the Steve Largent. He doesn't have that guy anymore. I think not only does Troy cover what's down to 11 from 13, I think Troy wins the game straight up. Whoa. Whoa, that's strong. But we're going to give you the ATS winner if they just cover. But as some people say, sprinkle a little something on the underdog. And that's a valid way to approach it, right? If you're betting 100 bucks, let's say just round number, Put 70 on the against the spread. Put 30 on the money line with the dog. And you have a little upside. Guys, listen. You cannot have listened an hour in and not said, Ken Thompson, Brad, the depth of knowledge. And we're going to be sharing it with you each and every week. And I can't guarantee that we're going to help you win. But I can guarantee we're going to help you win more. You cannot listen to these guys and not improve your results. As we said, NFL Dream Pod released on Thursday with Fez tomorrow and me. And next week, and it's every Wednesday, it's the College Dream Pod. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to RJ Bell's Dream Preview. Catch the Wise Guy Roundtable each week. College football released on Wednesday. NFL on Thursday. Don't miss any winners. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Visit podcastone.com and download the Podcast One app. Have a question for RJ? You can contact him directly on Twitter at RJ in Vegas. Live the dream with us each week. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast 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 one.com.